completely realize the Tata Gata's true meaning. There is a reality prior to heaven and earth. It has no form. Much less does it have a name. The next line of this refrain at some Rinzai temples is bringing forth this one shining alone. Bringing forth this one shining alone. That's what we do. In Zazen, and maybe especially in the practice of Shikantaza, Zazen as a manifestation of enlightenment itself. Senses open, alert but relaxed. Finding that sometimes elusive sweet spot. is indeed infinitely subtle work, moment to moment. There is a reality prior to heaven and earth. It has no form, much less does it have a name. Our practice, the whole of our practice, on the cushion and off, is improving our conscious contact with this reality. In this talk, I will go through some of the forms of retreat. as they relate to this improving of conscious contact. First and foremost, we must keep coming back to this present moment. We keep coming back and it really does work. With this retreat, we added the Atta Deepa first thing in the morning. This is a kind of toning practice. An opportunity to really feel different sounds, different frequencies, different vibrations resonate in the body. 
with all of our chanting, the words of the particular chant do have a function, but I would say always a secondary or tertiary kind of function. We're feeling the chant, if chanting is what we are doing in the moment. So this morning with the Atta Deepa, we had an opportunity for uh, toning practice, and now that's in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, too bad if we missed it. Um, good thing, though, there's this next opportunity, right? Always this next opportunity. So now it's for listening to a Dharma talk and feeling the body. Maybe, maybe noticing other sounds or sights or sensations. The Atadipas, some interesting and a multifaceted uh, goodness going on there. So first I'll say that the the whole of this practice is is done through the body. Is done through the body. How else are we to get beyond the discursive mind? We feel the body. We manifest whatever, picking up a spoon, through the body. Doing these simple... moment-to-moment actions, coming back to the body and breath moment-to-moment. This is exactly beyond thought, when it's beyond thought. Enter this space of action with nothing extra or with substantially less extra. When we chant the Atta Deepa, there's a toning practice through the body. And as we're infusing the body with vibration. There's a reminder in the words to rely on that which is before heaven and earth, which is as the shining window below the green pines. which is firmly based in stability. 
as we travel this path with so much, um, such intricate mind-created confusion. Please be assured that in this coming back, in this returning, things do get clarified. So first thing off in retreat, we have this chant to give ourselves wholeheartedly to. And then we go into some zazen. Another opportunity or series of opportunities. We alternate a lot back and forth between chanting and zazen. Each time a Zazen opportunity arises, next thing to do, sit. We have a um, really the optimal opportunity for settling. Really the optimal opportunity for non-stirring. So we encourage ourselves to take advantage of that opportunity when it arises. And then when it is time to chant, we have this opportunity to do three things, at least. We chant and send vibration through the whole body. We're educating at least the subconscious mind. We are spreading and giving life to and honoring the teachings of the ancestors, specifically whichever ancestor wrote the particular chant, perhaps. But the teachings that have come down through a long stream before the time the chant was written and since then, down to us. So we are honoring that stream with the chanting practice, we are educating the subconscious, which is, by the way, not just our own subconscious mind. 
but a field that has no boundary. I was reviewing uh, Akuin Yatsutani Roshi's words on why we recite sutras. And he reminded me that even someone chanting alone on a distant mountaintop has an effect on the many beings. Yet Satani Roshi says we should chant as often as possible. Sometimes I can find in myself and in some others a kind of aversion and aversion to chanting practice. So I try to encourage myself by remembering these things. Here's my opportunity to give voice to the teachings, to spread the Dharma, to educate my own subconscious for one, to do a whole body practice. Yasutani Roshi also reminded me that when we do this wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, we're absorbed in the sensations and the sounds, just completely in it. This is no different than our zazen practice. Different gate only, a different kind of opportunity. Listening to a Dharma talk, moving on here, whether the talk is excellent or poor or so-so, another opportunity. The gatha on opening the sutra is there to try to encourage us and remind us of this opportunity. So as we listen, also experiencing the body, noticing what might be present in the room, in the mind, paying attention. We have this opportunity. And as I am still talking, when the mind wanders and we notice that, we have another opportunity. In all of this, we are exactly 
improving our conscious contact with that reality prior to heaven and earth that has no name. When we eat, we just eat. And we notice anything that might be extra to that activity. When we take a walk or a cup of tea or do some household cleaning, cooking, dishwashing, Again, an opportunity. In the retreat space, we commit to setting aside everything else. This is very straightforward. When it feels not so straightforward, when it feels confusing, or there's some resistance, please let that dynamic, that internal dynamic, be a subject of investigation within a larger faith. When I say there is a reality prior to heaven and earth, there is, eh? What I mean is that resonates, does it not? It has no form, much less does it have a name. The words exactly, exactly get in the way of the experience. The mind's restlessness and doubt and trying to think its way out of suffering exactly, exactly, exactly gets in the way of the experience. So that's why we have to just keep, keep coming back. You know, it, it really is, it really is Like Goso said in Mumon Kong, case 38, 
It really is like that. Gosso said, it's like a buffalo trying to pass through a lattice window. It's exactly like this. Its head and the full of its torso, its entire torso, all four legs can get through. A lattice window, a buffalo, all that gets through, but the tail, the tail cannot. And Goso adds, why is it that the tail cannot? I'm going to put that why question aside. As I so, so far have this lifetime, part of the koan I haven't really gotten to. So, folks, and when you're teaching Dharma and you use a metaphor, it's nice to have a metaphor that people can relate to. Like the Buddha's metaphor with the lute. And there's a lute player. And if they tighten that string too far, it'll break. And if they loosen it too much, it won't play at all. Everybody can relate to that. Everybody knows what a lute is. And what strings on a stringed instrument do. But a buffalo trying to go through a lattice window. Who's ever seen that before? It really is just like this though. Our practice It's like a buffalo trying to go through a lattice window. So the buffalo is us. Buffalo is us. I offer that the buffalo is us. Zen does this a lot. Buffalo isn't a flattering thing to be. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be this kind of humbling, a humbling uh, integration to feel into this koan, us as the buffalo. trying to pass through, trying to let go, and let go, and let go, and let go. Sometimes we're in the zendo and not particularly um, not particularly anxious or caught up in any particular thought 
but not really present either. Kinda like a letting go of too much. Sometimes just a tail, just a little something is just the thing. In the zendo, looking for that elusive, present, alert, sweet spot. Present, um, relaxed, not cut off in thought, sweet spot. And we just need a something to keep us there. A little something. Sometimes for me, it's just registering uh, visual data colors and patterns. Just a little bit, just um, not even saying my practice is registering visual data, but letting enough in to know that I'm here. The poem on the Buffalo Koan says, passing through, falling in a ditch, turning around, all is lost. This tiny little tale, what a strange and marvelous thing it is.
So we're sitting or we're doing whatever continuation of zazen or version of a zazen we've picked up during retreat practice, some chanting or other activity. And there's a, there's a balance. Passing through falling in a ditch, too far off on one side, turning around all is lost, too far off on the other side. Too much self usually. Too little intention sometimes. This tiny little tail though, what is it? What is it? Who am I? As many of you know, this particular koan has long resonated with me personally. I am really interested in knowing, in clarifying further. What is this? What is this that makes or breaks this sense of sweet spot or samadhi even? What is it? What's the secret? And I suspect for me, this koan will yield uh, lifelong or lives long investigation. Mm-hmm. Giving me something of a tale. Something of a tale in those moments in the Zendo when I need something to keep me here in this present moment. In a certain state of mind, once the mind is settled somewhat. What's this tale? Can I catch a glimpse of this tale? Can I see something more about the tale? Maybe one day even ask the question, why can't it pass through? In at least one version of uh, Koreans and practice, uh, students are given one koan for a lifetime. I have heard. So I hear tell. It seems to me that having the practice go like that would help with, um, you know, this mind that thinks that koan study is all about passing uh, more koans or all the koans. When it's really just to give a tale, 
and it's really just to give, give some traction. It's real traction that can sustain us moment to moment, moment to moment. Every in-breath, every out-breath. Or forgetting about the past, because again, that's not particularly constructive to think about all the opportunities we've missed, even during this retreat. But are we breathing in or out right now? And can we stay with that? Or stay with our own koan without gap, our own question. Feeling it in the whole body. Feeling it in the body. Working it out through the body. Not separating from the practice. Leaning into this instruction of wholehearted non-separation, real intention to stay with it, return and stay with it. Redirecting the mind back when it wanders off. Chosen Roshi in my time with her enjoyed um, describing the mind as a two or three year old uh, wandering off. You know, over there again, taking all the pots and pans out of the cupboards. We, we, we don't want the two year old doing that. And so we say here, here is something more interesting. Here is something shiny and attractive, fun, something. It's got to grab the interest more than the thing over there. Sometimes we use questions in this way too. It's really a gift to find find a koan like I have with the buffalo or a word or phrase from a sutra that grabs our attention in this way. What could it mean? What could it mean? Or if I think I know what it means, whatever the it is here, the word, the phrase, the story. Is that really what it means? Am I sure? Am I clear? And if I have thoroughly clarified, then maybe on to the next. There is joy in that further step of clarification. 
When I think I know something. Oh, could I stay clear with that knowledge, like in a presentation in in a one-on-one interview in Sansen, for instance. And going through this kind of training, finding a, a kind of koan, either in a koan curriculum or in a chant or something we read, Um, words that we know to be wise and true, um, but maybe also know that there's more to see for us. They're not only a nice uh, distraction or redirection tool to keep us present. They are also a tool for bringing to light and pulling us through specific karmic obstacles. As I sit with a particular question particular karmic obstacles will arise. One kind of question might bring up restlessness. One kind of question might bring up tension in the body. One kind of question might bring up some kind of objection or doubt even in the practice itself. In feeling into the question, the phrase, even a life question or problem can also be a koan, can have all of these functions. We get to um, wear away some specific karma, specific extra. This is a facet of what's meant by burning through karma, burning up karma. There can be a heat sensation to this kind of work. Sitting with the obstacles that come in the mind and seeing through. So that can take some returning and persistent returning, uh, albeit discomfort. In the face of discomfort, instead of saying, well, forget that question, sticking with it, sticking with it, sticking with it, feeling through it, feeling through it. At the beginning of this retreat, I mentioned uh, the... I gave the advice to remind ourselves to do this practice for all beings. For all beings. And I'll repeat that here. Um, 
much could be said about that as well. But I'm running towards the end of my Dharma talk time for today. I'll just say here that um, we need this. I need this bow to free all beings. Mm-hmm. And there's another question. What does that mean? That's a good koan for some. I need this vow to be of service. I need this vow to benefit others. Benefit others. Benefit everyone or at least benefit some others. I need it to pull me along. And I at least suspect that that's a more universal need, not an idiosyncratic need. Please continue. Please continue wholeheartedly in this practice. I trust that um, you all always do. And I appreciate the... um, returning that I see even in the rhythm of um, offering these retreats every month for uh, a little bit of time now and seeing uh, the same faces over and over again. Um, Thank you for your continued practice. We will close the Dharma talk by chanting the four great bodhisattva vows. (laughs) 